Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Last time on HI101, Phil Downey and I discussed how various steppe nomad tribes moving through the region just north of the Black Sea came together in a mix of cultures to form the roots of the Russian people. As we begin this episode, a loose federation of principalities known as Kievan Rus has formed a distinct proto-Russian identity in the 13th century. However, invasions by the Mongolian horde threatened to destroy this hard-won unity. Welcome back to HI101. I'm here with Phil. Hey, hey. And we're talking about Russia. Now, when we left things off, we sort of talked about Kievan Rus, its rise to prominence in the area. Yeah, things got really interesting. And sort of their their gradual decline into sort of a a loose confederation of smaller principalities. I believe you mentioned some uh, terrible event that might have happened to them. Uh, Who was it that stopped by for a visit? Ah, that would be the Mongols, Ah, uh, yeah, those lovely folks. Now, when I do this podcast, I can think of, I don't know, probably a good dozen different topics that the Mongols might show up in. <laughs> yeah. Because they were everywhere at this point in time. Literally. Literally everywhere. They had the hugest empire. It was incredible. They were fighting Europeans at the same time as they were fighting Chinese. Amazing. Two, those were their two fronts. Have you seen a map? <laughs> it's, it's a very big area. It's a very big area. Asia. So we left things off kind of around 1140 where things were pretty fragmented. Uh, it went on in this sort of loose confederation for a while until the year 1222. Okay. In the year 1222, some horse archers kind of came over the horizon. They messed with them a little bit and rode away. Mm-hmm. And it was a kind of a worse battle for the uh, for the Eastern uh, Rus princes, but overall it wasn't so bad that it was notable for them in particular. In fact, we only know that it was the Mongols that attacked them in that year from Mongol history. Okay, which is kind of awesome when you think about that—that that you can connect these dots. It's incredible. Separately, it's very very interesting stuff. Definitely, one of the biggest things that differentiate the Mongolians from other horse archers that we've kind of talked about is that Mongolians did have written language and they did keep a history. Really? Yes. They had a very detailed history of everything basically slightly before the election of Genghis Khan. Their history sort of began with the election of Genghis Khan as Genghis Khan as Supreme Khan. Huh. Now Khan is a title in, in Mongolia. So 
Um, I knew that one. Awesome. <laughs> Do we get points? Absolutely. Can I get points every time I know something? Take ten. <laughs> Take ten. I'm Sweet. fine with that. Ten points for Phil. <laughs> Blusky a billion. Ten. Phil, ten. It's Nailed not fair. It. I looked ahead. <laughs> yeah, and I specifically didn't. <laughs> so these troops that they kind of tangled with in 1222, they were the most advanced of advanced scouting parties. Gotcha. They were just taking a tour through the neighborhood to see what was what. Oh, boy. And, you know, raised a whole bunch of villages while they were at it. This is going to be bad. Just for fun, you know, and food and whatever. Not going to end well for anybody. What else are you going to do on a Saturday night? <laughs> hey, it's Saturday night. Want to go, like, scout out some, like, shattered empires? <laughs> it's yeah, also sure. 1222. There's nothing on TV. <laughs> well, I mean, there was, like, Saturday Night Live, but it was really bad back then. <laughs> so... They came back in 1237. Yep. What happened was that the the Khan was or the Khan gave this uh, this impetus to go into Europe, see what they could find, take over whatever they could, get as much tribute for the Khan as possible. Mm-hmm. So, Batu, who is a grandson of Genghis Khan's, okay. took this ex- expeditionary force west with this general named Subadai. Mm-hmm. They took. About 50,000 Mongol troops. And they're That's not sure... not an insignificant number. And they're not sure exactly, but around 120,000 Turkish auxiliaries. What's 120,000 Turkish auxiliary, auxiliaries? Yes, this was not the main Mongol force. Dear God, what's the world population at this time? Do we know? I have no idea. That's that would, a fantastic question. It would be an interesting little side note. It would probably be a little bit lower than you'd expect because we're talking about plague at this point I honestly time. don't know. Ballpark me. Couple million? One million? I don't know. If I had to guess, this is going to be wrong. I would guess maybe a hundred million. Show notes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, look it up. I'll look it up later. I'll just insert it in here. It'll be really obvious. One hundred billion. <laughs> Not 100 billion. 200 quadrillion. Oh no. So much overpopulation. <laughs> nope. They somehow knew how to sustain it back then, but we've uh. lost those secrets to time. Wouldn't that be some shit? <laughs> <laughs> so, Subadai rolls in. About 170,000 guys. Yep, that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And a fantastic thing. You hear about people attacking Russia. Yep. And how it's a bad idea. Okay. There's sort of that like saying. Yeah, I've heard this. And you know, never get involved. So well for Hitler. Never get involved in a land war with Russia. Yeah. And it's usually the winter that does it, right? Uh, Napoleon. Game of Thrones. Winter <laughs> is coming. Exactly. Napoleon got into into Russia. Didn't manage to take Moscow. Didn't manage to take Moscow before winter set in. His troops froze. They gave up and went home. Yep. Nazis tried to attack, their winter gear wasn't good enough, they froze, they did really badly, the Soviets rallied and pushed them back out. The Mongols waited for winter. They waited for winter to roll around because it froze the marshes and it was easier to ride over on their many, many horses. You can't... It's almost a shame that there aren't cameras pointed at us, because as Adam's saying this, he's, you know, he's full stride, telling me this story, and I'm like, screwing my face up, he's saying, they waited for winter, I'm like... I don't know how to interject vocally. Uh, what? Why? Oh, okay. It was a very <laughs> physical reaction. Dear God. I mean, it's it's difficult to talk about the Mongols in any reasonable way because you always end up 
no matter what you say, it's not really hyperbole. No, it's really yeah. hard. It's really hard to exaggerate about the Mongols. Yeah, it's like, yeah, Mongols are crazy. But I mean, like, no, they actually were all over the place and really good at all these things. And there were so many of them. There were so, so many of them. Yeah, you said, what, 170,000? And that's not even their main force? And that's not their main force. That's correct. I mean, they were mainly tied up in China. So many people. What year is this? 1220 or we're at 1237 at this point oh dang okay hit me so they roll in over winter so yep. it's easier to ride in on their horses weird awesome. and weird did i mention the weirdness and the awesomeness <laughs> yeah the mongols man they like, roll in just tactical brilliance absolutely it's I, I know I'm like basically gushing at this point, but seriously, that is impressive. Essentially what they it's did... something worth noting. They, they, took, they took the nomadic horse archer lifestyle, which again, I, I have to stress, is very, very effective in battle because you're, you're used to people kind of lining up in these lines and they're pushing at each other yeah. in very organized sort of ways. Now screw you, I'll either run you over or shoot you. <laughs> and the best thing they did, I should have mentioned this ages ago, but the best thing that, that you lose they 10 did... points for this. <laughs> so what are we at like 990 quadrillion or something <laughs> something like that the best move that they had and people would fall for this every single time was they would pretend to start running away and their oh. enemy troops would get all oh, eager and they would start chasing them so dirty then they would turn around in their saddles so and dirty. shoot back at them while they're not in like an actual uh <laughs> proper shield wall. oh that's so dirty and they fell for it every single time how did people not start hearing about oh wait no survivors <laughs> <laughs> no they heard about it but i mean in the heat of battle yeah, you see you your enemies start even, to rev yeah go go and they go after them that's so awesome yeah so i mean the mongols had that but what they also had was they were fighting in china they learned how to build siege engines from the chinese mm -hmm. so you've got horse and horse archers who are great on the field You've got siege engines, which are fantastic against cities. Yeah. Unstoppable. So do they, just logistically, do they transport those siege engines or build them when they get there? Or how does that how does that work out? They were fairly portable siege engines. They weren't building, you know, huge... Like the Ikea of siege engines. Just pick one off the shelf and put it together. I mean, they're building smaller, like, ballistas and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and... A lot of the other siege craft that they learned was thing like things like undermining walls or building proper ladders, stuff like that. So okay, they yeah, would trap them. Important. They would learn how to get over walls. They would use small siege engines against so people crazy. that tried to came out. What uh, is the Great Wall gone up by now? Oh yes, yeah. long long ago. So hence the siege technology. Exactly. Gotcha. They rolled in and they eviscerated Russia. They, I mean, Moscow fell. It wasn't a major... I was just going to say, Moscow exists? And Moscow does exist. It's one of the minor principalities at this point in time. That's really Moscow cool. Falls. Uh, Are there any other big cities that ended up being these principalities? Like, big cities now that existed then? Most of the principalities still exist as cities. Most of them are not cities that you would recognize. Oh, that's too bad. That's kind of neat that Moscow was like, you know, it's, it's Moscow's over there. Yeah, it was... Don't worry about it. They're not going to be important at all. <laughs> Wink! They were a very minor city, but they were yeah. there. So that's Mo really cool, though. Moscow felt like yeah. it's just like you've got that. Like you know, you've mentioned Kiev. Obviously, that's around, but it's cool that there's another one. It's it's really interesting to think that there are cities that have that much continuity. Yeah, like even like what Istanbul now that was Constantinople, right? And before that, Byzantium. Yeah, exactly. Like that's 
that's so cool. It's, I it's was telling really... somebody about that, and they're just like, nah, there's no way. I'm like, oh, check Wikipedia. And they're like, holy crap, same city. It's really hard. different names. It's really hard to wrap your head around that that yeah, scale of continuity. Time exists, and it's long and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, Moscow falls to the to the uh, the Mongols. Kiev falls to the Mongols. Uh, Novgorod surrenders before they have a chance to be completely destroyed. Uh Quick question. Mm-hmm. When a city falls to the Mongols, what exactly goes down? The Mongols were particularly brutal when it came to uh, to defeating cities. Oh boy. They Hold on to your butts, folks. <laughs> they would kill a good number of the population. Uh, just for intimidation purposes? To make a point? Because they liked it? All of the above. All of the above. The Mongols, again, what we were talking about before, the Mongols didn't seem to truly consider people that lived in these cities true people. They likened them to cattle. They likened them to domesticated animals. That's... uh, It's hard to sort of wrap your head around that sort of mentality. It is and it isn't. Like, you know, like, I'm not clear... Clearly, I am not anywhere near that violent. (laughs) But I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's like, yeah, we're better than these people. I don't relate to it, but I can definitely understand it. A lot of it is a lack of communication. Yeah. um, Which makes things really hard. Uh, A lot of it is the cultural barriers that are are inherent in the ancient world. You see that kind of like non-person mentality all over the place, right? Like, Well, that that was going to be my next point is it makes it easier to go into battle against someone that you don't consider a, a... a sentient being. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know, stepping on grass, crushing an ant, swatting a fly, the, destroying the Russians. The analogy to cattle is is very yeah. telling of the Mongolian yeah. mentality. If these people could work in a way that would benefit them, mm-hmm. so be it. Just like cattle. Yeah. If they were of no use to them, or if it was more beneficial to them to slaughter them, so be it. That's crazy. It's... Yeah. One of the things that's sort of difficult to to accept in terms of studying history is this way that people used to relate to each other or or not relate to each other, yeah. as the case may be, because we live in such a globalized uh, society where, I mean, there there are people there are soldiers these days that have to go through specific training in order to dehumanize the enemy in order to make warfare more palatable which is insane exactly like i mean i've thought about it before just you know like what it must be to in this day be a soldier and like you know if you didn't think of an entire race as people then it makes your job easier and i like don't mean to excuse like you know no of course any sort of behavior like that now but i get it i get why it had to happen and why it did happen and it's i mean the silver lining in that is that there is a fundamental part of human nature where uh hurting people that you can relate to in any way is much more difficult yeah it's so it's a good thing that they had to do it but also like really interesting that they did yeah we've definitely been on a positive trend in that in 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 that (laughs) way go humanity in human history which is which is somewhat encouraging (laughs) it's it's yeah it's it's easy to look at the world and kind of go well everything's going horribly wrong (laughs) it's very easy but you know in terms of general trends we forget at least we think of other human beings as human beings for the most part that's that's actually 
That's actually a positive step that we've taken. (laughs) We're moving forward, folks. Which is terrifying. Which is terrifying, but it's a reality that you have to understand when you look at people like this. Is it terrifying or is it like really inspiring, though? Like at the same time. I I, I mean, terrifying when looking back on these people that they were able to. Uh, but also because they were doing that, that we've gotten to where we are. That's very true. Pretty good, good for us. That's very, very, very true. Um, and and that's that's the way I personally choose to look at it. Is that this is a this is a positive step, and look where we've come from. Yeah. And look how much better we are now. Okay, Mongols. <laughs> Mongols. Still Mongol. Do they go out a Mongoling? <laughs> <laughs> Technically, no, they do not. Ah, do they have like a verb for it? No. That's really disappointing. Now, the funny thing about this whole Mongol invasion is that what had been Kievan Rus, these 12 principalities, were so fractured that they couldn't even unite against the Mongols anymore. Wow. In fact, some of the Western ones were still uh, involved in wars with Lithuania. Lithuania was actually a major enemy for a couple hundred years there. Uh, not oh, so much boy. anymore, but uh, they, they can stay as a side note at the moment. I am literally writing down all these questions I want to ask for future episodes. <laughs> that, don't, that don't quite uh, fit the scope of this one. <laughs> no. Yeah. We don't have 60 hours. <laughs> but, the point, but the point being that Russia was at its most fractured that it had been in hundreds of years at this point. And it allowed the Mongols to just roll right over them. And they only withdrew about five years later when they learned of the death of Ugadai Khan. So he was the uh, he was the son of, of Genghis Khan. Okay. So Batu, who was running the show, yeah. had to go back to Mongolia. Was that his grandson? Yes. Genghis Khan's grandson? Was that the guy who just died's son? Yes, okay. Ugadai. Well, I, I'm just guessing Genghis Khan had more than one son. He had many, many, many yeah. sons. I, I've heard some statistic, like like a bunch of people in the world now are related to him. Some I've, crazy percentage. It's it's a it's a large percent and uh, <gasps> prolific yeah. love maker. Well, I mean, well, let's call it love making. That's 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 a function of the way the Mongols looked at taking cities, right? Yeah. So he had to go back in order to. They, they basically had. To, Yes, Batu had to go back uh, in order to figure out who the next Khan would be because there was this tradition within the Mongolians that they all had to agree who the next Khan would be. This came from Genghis Khan being acclaimed unanimously as their Khan originally. Is he dead now? Genghis Khan? Yeah. Yes. But Ugadai had taken over? Correct. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Sorry, I wasn't trying to focus too much on... Yeah, no, but it's interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying I was only glazing over for sake of, of rolling through, so that's, that's why I haven't been as clear on those guys. Bat, this whole region that Batu had um, had invaded, so all of this that would kind of become Russia and Eastern Europe, it was sort of partitioned off after the death of Ugadai. Okay, they didn't quite manage to find a unified emperor, and they broke up the entire Mongolian Empire into a number of regions. And the Mongols who ruled this portion were known as the Golden Horde. <clears throat> That's not intimidating. <laughs> They were, they were very, very impressive people. And they decided, you know what? We are going to stop killing all of you. Oh. However, you are... That doesn't sound like the thing that they do. However, you are all going to now be our vassals. Okay. Uh, vassals basically mean we're letting you keep your name, but essentially we rule you. Yeah. It's done by people who want to keep their own cultural identity while imposing their will over others. Okay. Okay, so if you, if you take over a country uh, completely... 
either you're committing to joining that culture yourself mm-hmm. or you're committed to trying to force this entire people into assimilating into your own. Yeah. Vassalage is a way to exert political and economic control over a people without trying to join them or have them join you. So is this a concept that's new at the time or has this been pulled off already? Oh, it's, it's very, very old. I mean, the Romans did it all the time, for example. Okay. The vassalage is, is an old, old concept. So all of these 12 principalities still existed as vassals, but they have to... Separate vassals? Like 12 vassals? Yes. That's... They did this to play them off each other and to keep them from becoming too powerful because they were worried about what the Rus people could do if they all got together. So they took a tax of grain because it was all very good farm, farmland, so they didn't have to grow their own food. Mm-hmm. They required that they be allowed to use the land as pasture because they still kept their semi-nomadic lifestyle. Yep. And as I said, they played the principalities off of each other in order to keep them weak uh, and to their own uh, advantage. Clever. So, I mean, this is clearly an imposed situation. This isn't like a, a serfdom where you've got the serfs getting something from the lords and the lords getting something from the serfs. Is there any sort of benefit to the vassals at this point? Not getting killed by all the Mongols. Yeah. That's really the main benefit. Oh, continued existence. Woo. And I mean... Nailed it. <laughs> and I mean, Mongolian rule... I feel bad saying this because of all the terrible things they did, but it wasn't all bad. I mean, it it imposed a sense of order on the mm-hmm. on the area. It was considered like one... At that point in time, it was considered a very safe area. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, do they offer some protection from other invading forces? Would anyone bother to invade a Mongol-occupied uh, or vacillated? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Sure. Right? Um, they still continue to have problems with Lithuania on their western borders. Okay. But other than that, not really. Did the Mongols help out or just say take When it, it suited them. Okay, so if they were in the area and felt like they were up for a fight? More like they were willing to let the, the Lithuanians beat away at the Western <laughs> just, armies just and keep, keep them... withered? Yeah, keep yeah. them weak. So but brilliant. if they needed a favor from one of the Western lords, for example, they might, yeah. offer, they might offer military support against the Lithuanians in exchange for a favor against one of the other principalities. <sighs> that... I hate to go sci-fi on this, but like when you start getting to this level of like political machinations, but that back then, it's like, yeah, man, this is like the cool, crazy political stuff from the prequels and the only good thing about them. Yeah, exactly. Now, over this time, Moscow kind of started gaining in prevalence. Okay. They started becoming a bigger economic center. Kiev stopped being as, as important because there wasn't that trade route down to Byzantium oh, yeah. anymore, right? So what, uh, what allowed Moscow to step in? Just was it all always kind of like you know, could be sec could be. It was it was one of the principalities, so it definitely had a lot of power. Yeah, and the sacking of all the uh, the sacking of Rus by the Mongols sort of evened the playing field a lot, so that anyone sort of had a chance of coming out of this. Yeah, and then the Western principalities were dealing with Lithuania, so they didn't really have as much of a shot. Yeah, Moscow on the east had the the added protection of the Mongols. Okay. And sort of between all these factors, they started coming up. Yeah. There was another city called Tver, okay. which was also sort of coming up. And yeah. it could have really gone either way, but Moscow was slightly better placed. Mm-hmm. And eventually, even though there was this vassal system, there was still this idea of uh, a grand prince of Rus. 
And for all this time, this grand prince of Rus had 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 their seat in Kiev. Okay. In 1327, so after many, many years of, of Mongol rule, the seat of Grand Prince was moved to Moscow. Okay. Now, this was with all of this was with the, the approval of the Mongols again. Like, I mean, each of the yeah, all right, silly little cattle. Well, Move I your mean, prince. I mean, even the even the principalities, each prince had to be approved. Is that why it's called a principality? Yes, because the princes. Yeah, that's so damn cool. <laughs> each I prince never had even to be, put that together yet. Each prince had to be approved by the cons, so they had to go to the cons and say, "Is it cool if I'm still prince?" And the cons would be like, "Yeah, I guess." I mean, that's a condition <laughs> of vassalage, right? Wow. So again, with the, the approval of the the Mongols. It was moved under a guy named Ivan the First. Not a big deal, but it was moved to, to Moscow. The seat of the Orthodox Church was also moved to Moscow at this point in time, which really consolidated Moscow's power in the area. Mm-hmm. So it became political and cultural basically at the same time. Was there ever any uh, effort to uh, like rout the Mongols? Not really. No one was quite powerful enough. They didn't even try? Like It's just a foregone conclusion that it wouldn't work? They were so badly scarred by their yeah. their experiences in the no 1220s and 1230s they didn't feel like it was worth it however that's so awesome moscow starts gaining all of this power economic political military it's all right nobody's gonna notice the Mo- the mongols don't like it they start backing Tver against moscow right oh the other city that also might have gone either way with the the big come up it really could have become the capital of what is now russia it very easily could have you know i'm gonna ask eventually what is it now absolutely we'll get to that okay um don't let me forget (laughs) don't worry i won't there's this big war between moscow and tver moscow comes ahead that means that not only did they solidify their place in russian culture as the premier city but they also managed to defeat a Mongol back then. I was just going to say, yeah, not only did they win, but they also got ahead of a Mongol backed. Yeah. And this That's, is a big deal. Yeah. You don't even have to say it. I think anyone listening by now kind of gathered. Holy crap. This is a major turning yeah. point in Russian history. This is the first time since Yaroslav. Yeah, I was just going to say, really... this seems like, you know, like on the bullet points, Yaroslav and then now this. This is the first time that they managed to establish any sort of, even equality, let alone dominance in the region. Yeah. And this importance is not lost on Moscow. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about what they do with that predominance jerk in the region. (laughs) Welcome back to HI 101. I'm here with Phil. Hey, hey. And we were just talking about how the city of Moscow was finally beginning to gain some prevalence in the region that would become Russia. You stopped at a really annoying point. (laughs) Uh, Exciting, I think, was the word you were going for. Annoying. (laughs) So it's not like there was a switch that was flipped and all of a sudden Moscow became the most powerful thing in the region and the Mongols left forever. 
there was sort of this very gradual interplay between... And everybody lived happily ever after. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No, there was this very gradual interplay between Moscow and these other principalities. And the Mongols would try and bring other Russian principalities into the fight, sort of put Moscow into their place. It really didn't go that well for them, though. Moscow managed to sort of hold on. If not always victorious, then at least keep the defeat minimal enough to still stay in a relative amount of power. Then you get to a guy called Ivan the Third, or Ivan the Great. Remember Wait. what we said about... Uh, Wait. What? Didn't we start with Ivan the First? As you generally do. And now we're on Ivan the Third. Ivan the Second did nothing of any consequence. So he's kind of like... Um, oh, no, this parallel doesn't work. So have you ever played Castlevania? A long time ago. A lot of people know Castlevania 1, mm-hmm. obviously. Sure. A lot of people know Castlevania 2. It's kind of infamous because it had a whole bunch of problems with it. And right. a lot of people know Castlevania 4 because it was for the SNES. Okay. Nobody knows shit about Castlevania 3. <laughs> okay, well... So the numbering's a little off. Then Ivan... Basically, Ivan II is the Castlevania 3 of Ivans. Your... Yes. Your, your analogy holds up. Do I get points for that one? Take I think, 20. I think I'm at like 40 points now. <laughs> no, 30. Tell us in the comments. Are there comments on this? Sure, why not? Absolutely. Great. Tell us in the comments how many points I have. So, so anyways, <laughs> Ivan the Third, or Ivan the Great, as I said, all mm-hmm. of the good ones have nicknames. Ivan the Great ruled from 1462 to 1505. The first thing you'll notice about that is that that's a long time to rule. Yes. Yes, that is. That's over 40 years. One thing you'll notice in history is that long rulers tend to be very successful rulers. Who would have thunk it? It sounds obvious when you say it that way. There's 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 Shut two up, sides Phil, to this. I'm trying to make a point. <laughs> there's two sides to this. One is that ruling for a long time gives you a lot of time to sort of consolidate things, to make long-term plans that actually follow through, things like that, develop good relationships with your neighbors. Yeah. That's all very helpful. The other side of that is that if you're a bad ruler, you tend to get assassinated or lose wars or or you know, be not ruling anymore <laughs> things, through various means. Things that shorten your rule. So there's... <laughs> Look, guys, if you're not a long ruler, something happened that shortened your rule. I don't know. Again, I know it's very, very obvious when you put it in those terms, but not everyone yeah. thinks about the relationship between I get it. length of rule it's and success. It's worth pointing out, mm-hmm. even though it sounds very obvious once you've pointed it out. <laughs> exactly. Tautologies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was great. Because of a number of reasons. The biggest one was that he basically went in and said, Hey, all of you other princes of Russia, why are we fighting so much? My mind is still blown from last episode with the princes and principality thing. That's so cool. (laughs) The Mongols are the jerks. Let's team up against the Mongols and we'll be fine. Okay, how long have the Mongols been here at this point? Because this... They've been here for like 200 years. That's a lot of years, man. They've done a good job of keeping relatively nomadic, but they've gotten sedentary. They're not the same. They're letting their beer belly out a little bit. <laughs> you know, they're not going to the gym as much. I mean, they don't have to work for it the way they used to. They've exactly. gotten a little complacent. You know, not keeping up appearances quite as much. And people aren't afraid of them as much as they were back when they were just destroying everyone. It'll probably be okay for them. Yeah. I can't imagine this will turn against them. They're still in power, right? <laughs> They're they technically still... still in power. There you go. Now, Moscow at this point in time has more or less extricated itself from... I meant they're still in power like right now. In oh, the Mongols? Yes. yes. Totally. They own Asia, right? <laughs> All it's of not it. called Asia. It's called 
Super Mongolia. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true, but hey. Just Wikipedia. Uh-huh. It says, you know, Mongolia and then in brackets. Or sorry, Asia and then in brackets, Super Mongolia. <laughs> Please don't vandalize Wikipedia. Yeah, exactly. It's very important to keep that accurate. <laughs> he went to all these other these other um, territories and basically said, hey, let's team up. And some of them said, cool, and they built treaties with Moscow. Some of them said, no, and Ivan the Great attacked them with armies and made them. Uh-huh. This sounds familiar. <laughs> it's hey, a fairly do what effective... I say or else. No, or else. Okay. It's a fairly effective tactic. It's, it's tried and true. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that Ivan did in uniting all of these principalities is he said okay we're going to team up and we're going to be way more powerful but i am grand prince and the thing is we're gonna we're gonna really reinforce that power structure so all of these guys who were princes before and all of the sort of like upper crust became what he called boyars okay a boyar is just a lord okay Okay. so So they're not no longer princes they're no longer princes so he basically took and restructured all of what used to be Rus. How did they... Even the ones who accepted that, like, why would they be willing to give up that princehood? Just because they really thought that, you know, this Ivan guy had it together? Partially that. Ivan guy? Partially that. It's also a trade-off between, would you rather be a free lord or a vassal prince? Mm-hmm. Free lord sounds pretty good. It's not always the most obvious trade. Yeah. But for a lot of them, they said, hey, this is this sounds great. Game of Thrones nonsense going on here. Absolutely. I mean, you know. Why they call themselves Free Folk and the Crows? Yeah, all, all of that nonsense. Yeah, it's a thing. I, I mean, a lot of Game of Thrones was inspired by true historical events, so. Oh, episode on the history of Game of Thrones. Oh, no, I don't have 18 million hours. <laughs> and I haven't read all the books, so not me, and I won't listen to that episode. <laughs> Anyways, back to Russia. So you've got all these boyars under Ivan the Great, who's basically taking all of these old Russian Rus principalities and consolidating them into one, into one state, mm-hmm. essentially, with sort of provinces, but still a state. And because of this, he actually had to rewrite laws. So he's pushing Mongols out. He's incorporating states in. He's rewriting um, this, this new law co- code called the Sudebnik in 1497. These... Uh... These charismatic Russian leaders, they really like to do their whole law thing. They it do. seems to help out. Russia has this thing where basically Russia has been a low water point for Europe, for all of Europe's history. I'm not familiar with that phrase. Low water point? They would look at Russia mm-hmm. and they would say, are you doing better than Russia? Yeah. And if the okay. answer was yes, then you're okay. <laughs> yeah. If you're doing worse than Russia, they would say, oh... You got to get that sorted out. <laughs> they looked at Russia as very backwards, and a lot of this came from their history as as a homeland for these these nomadic horse people. So when they looked at Russia, they sort of even even though Russia, I mean, Russia was a little bit behind the times compared to Europe, but it's also very hard to govern large spaces compared to little tiny states that you had in or in in Europe. So. A lot of what the great Russian leaders did was they saw the way that the rest of Europe was looking at them and felt a need to correct that. Yeah. Okay. So Hence the lawmaking. Yeah. A lot of the greater Russian leaders would do things like law reform. They would do things like social reform. They would do things like improve infrastructure, things that would make them look better to their European colleagues. Okay. 
another question I just thought of since we're talking about um, titled folk. How many czars have there been at this point? Is that a, th- a trend that's continuing? Technically none. No? While Yaroslav the Wise was given the title of czar when being talked to from uh, from Byzantium, like yes. in, in communication, that wasn't a title he took for himself. Okay. So he didn't consider himself a czar. Right. We're actually Byzantium. pointing right... Byzantians? Byzantines. Byzantines. I totally knew that. The Byzantines consider him the czar. Yes. But he didn't really. We're actually pointing right towards this issue. This is this is right where we're going. This oh, works well. Man, I'm so good at this. Because more points, please. One more thing. Five? Take, take, Ten? Take 20 because... Holy crap. I've got like 40 points at least. I think that makes 50. Shut up, man. <laughs> My math ain't great. Because the next, the absolute next thing I was about to tell you about Ivan the Great was he married someone named Zoe Paleologius, who okay. renamed herself Sophia. Zoe Paleologius was the niece of the last Byzantine emperor. Now, Constantinople fell to the Turks, and that was considered the end of of the Byzantine Empire. Okay. Zoe was the last heir to the bloodline mm-hmm. of Byzantine emperors. Mm-hmm. Married Ivan the Great. Interesting, interesting. Let's just sit on that for a moment. Yeah. So we've got Ivan the Great pulled in all these principalities, centralized power in Moscow, rewrote the laws, created the state that it very much looks like what we're going to get to with Russia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now he had his son. He had he had a son named Vasily, Vasily the Third. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about the first two. Uh, who, for the most part, isn't that notable. He basically continued his father's policies. Mm-hmm. But one really important thing about Vasily the Third is he had two sons. Rule generally goes to the eldest son. Yep. His eldest son had a grandson. Okay. Okay. Then before, like while Vasily was still alive. His eldest son died. Oh. So he has a second son who is alive, and he has a grandson from his first son's line who's still alive. War of succession nonsense? This is a bad thing. There is a huge war of secession. Major infighting within this new state, which is very difficult for, or which is very, uh, which is very dangerous for such a new um, political organization, right? They've just centralized in Moscow, and all of a sudden they're torn up over who's going to rule next. Man, is there, like... This isn't covered in the laws anywhere? This has never happened before in your, in Russian history that it's been an issue. So, I assume it's happened in other history at this point. Absolutely, but each country has their own laws of, of secession, and they tend to be very specialized to that country, and they tend to be very convoluted. Yeah. But it's also generally very reactionary to situations that have come up in that country-specific past. This is so bad. We're not going to get into that war a whole lot. Oh, it's come on. Give me the TLDR. Or TLDL. Didn't the TLDR, <laughs> too long, didn't read, is that Rule went to Ivan's second son. Oh, really? Also named Ivan. The fourth? Ivan the fourth. What happened to the grandson? He didn't make it. Oh. Uh, did, did, murdered? I believe so. I would have to double check on that one for you. All I know is that he did not come out on top, and I don't believe he lived through the ordeal. Oh, that's effed up. 
that's some Hamlet shit right there. And it actually had a significant impact on Russian history because the next leader that you get, Ivan the Fourth, also known as Ivan the Terrible. Mm. I was just going to guess. Was crowned at the age of three. Three? Three years old. So how long did that war last? Like three years? It was very, very short. It was very short. It was very short. It was very brutal. It was very bloody. Ivan IV came out on top. Now, a quick note on Ivan the Terrible. Terrible isn't the best translation of the word that's being used to describe Ivan IV. Mm -hmm. Maybe a better... um, sense of the word would be awesome in sort of like the old idea of it inspiring of awe like inspiring awe like incredible like someone that you admire but also fear yeah I've always thought that awesome is a better word when taken that way yes so terrible terrible makes it sound like he's a he's a bad person it's like the Voldemort kind of terrible right what is it that (laughs) Ollivander says Uh, Voldemort did terrible things yes but great things yes Exactly, yeah. exactly. So Ivan the Terrible, you get this idea that he's this bloody barbaric. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, well, he, he killed a lot little. of people, but <laughs> I, there were there were good things to come out of his rule, too. Man, three years old. The function of growing up crowned at age three is that he had a massive mistrust of the boyars that were around him. Because they were all trying to get a piece. Who were formerly the princes. Who were formerly the princes. Yes. There was still shades of this war of succession... Um, everyone's at some point all of these people had fought against each other during Mm -hmm. this this war he had advisors but when you're three years old and you're ruler of what's what is now a state your advisors aren't necessarily doing what's in your best interest they're usually doing what's in their best interest and he saw that game of thrones he saw that firsthand and very much mistrusted all of these lords that were around him and when he was old enough to take power himself he one of the one of the first things that he did was basically stop listening to any of the boyars wow and not formally not formally when he took yeah when he stopped paying attention to the people who he would have been about 16 smart kid he grew up to it yeah who had had to right absolutely that or not (laughs) either rule for a long time or not rule for a long time exactly exactly so it made him very distrustful of these of these boyars. Yeah. He created what he called this chosen council, which was like a small council of advisors that he actually personally trusted. I like the reference. And essentially just just ignored the rest of them and set yeah. this precedent of very centralized power in Moscow. Mm-hmm. So while there was this upper class, it all came down to what happened in Moscow. And Ivan the Terrible is notable in that he was the first one to take the title of Tsar formerly, or formally. Interesting. So Ivan the Terrible was the first Tsar of Russia. He justified this by pointing to his mother, yep. Sophia, the last uh, right. Zoe or Sophia, the the uh, the niece of the last Byzantine emperor. Wait, was that his mother? Yes. Ivan the Third was his father. Yeah. Because he was the second son of Ivan the right. Third. Yep. Ivan the Great. Ivan the Great married Zoe or Sophia. Mm-hmm. So what he looked. Was at, Ivan the Fourth's brother's name again? I don't know. It never came up. Or it, I'm sure it did, but I don't have notes about it. The one that would have been the ruler but died. Ivan the Fourth was Ivan the Third's grandson. Okay. Vasily yeah. was his father. Yeah, that's where I was. So his up. his grandmother. Yeah, no, yes. it was all my mistake. His grandmother was Sophia. 
okay. the last, uh, the niece of the last emperor. Yes. Now we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. So he looked to this and he said, there is a line between me and Julius Caesar mm-hmm. going back 1500 years. Yeah. And he called Moscow the third Rome. Really? He called There's Moscow. all these people in the freaking Rome's. Again, it's, it's, this, it's this idea of adopting these trappings of the Roman Empire because yeah. it has this legitimacy and this... Uh, Even though it's long failed at this point, isn't it? Absolutely. Long, yeah. long failed. A thousand years failed. That's crazy. But when you point to that legitimacy... I mean, legitimacy is all about continuity at this point. It's yeah. all about appearance. He's saying... And, and Ivan, the third, or Ivan the Fourth, Ivan the Terrible said, Moscow is the third Rome and there will be no fourth. He was very committed to this idea of the continuity of of the Roman Empire because he saw it as a way to legitimize a very centralized power base. Mm -hmm. It gave him a reason to ignore all of these people who had jerked him around as a child. And in doing so, he created a very powerful centralized state. Now, the the Russian, and and we can start talking about Russians at this point. They start start calling themselves Russians with the creation of this state. Again, the the first. From the Rus? It's from the root of Rus, yeah. And I mean, there isn't exactly, you know, I can't tell you in the year so-and-so. Yeah, it's quite just, you know, oh, here's the clear lineage from Rus to Russia. But this is Russia. This is what becomes Russia. The state that basically takes up this this area between, um, you know, I mean, it went it went over the Ural Mountains into the beginnings of Siberia at the end of his reign. It was, wow. uh, it, to the west, it went as far as, as Poland. It went all the way up to the, uh, to the Baltic Sea in the north. They they started pushing out the last remnants of the Golden Horde that were, you know, significantly diminished at this point, but were still a bit of a force in Ukraine. Who were the Golden Horde again? The Mongols. Mongols. Yes. The, was that the 1,700 dudes? Or 1,700,000 dudes? Uh, it was 170,000. Yeah, that's the one I'm looking for. Well, I mean, their, their numbers fluctuated greatly. They yeah, didn't... but that was who you mentioned before as the, the Golden Horde. Uh, not quite. I mean, that that army went back, and okay. and sort of that area that was that was invaded by Batu and Subadai. Yes, um, that became the Golden Horde's territory. Gotcha. So they're finally pushing them out. Exactly. They retook uh, the area that's Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, and this this is a little after Ivan the Terrible. So I'm giving you a bit of a rundown. Sure. But I mean. They, they, they already had a huge landmass, and over so the next... starting to take back all this neighboring territory as well? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And over the next 300 years, I mean, going all the way up until the, the last czar, Nicholas II, in, in, who, who died in 1918, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they span all of Asia. They take, they, they take over all of Asia. They go all the way across to the Pacific Ocean. Damn. Russia spans 11 time zones. It is far and away the largest country in the world. Yep. And the state that's created by Ivan the Terrible with this extreme centralization of government, with this history of various political and cultural systems coming together to create a a sort of more stable but very unusual whole. Yeah. All of this goes into the Russia that you you hear about today. Man. So we're going to end with with Ivan the Terrible because otherwise we're talking about going all the way up until present day and that will take a long, long time. I still think he should be called Ivan the Awesome. It's not it's not an unreasonable translation. I mean Yeah, like it's not like he was terrible at his job. Clearly he did good. Not well. Good. No, definitely well.
well. <laughs> he, he didn't seem to be doing much good. He did some good. He did. Good he also for, did some bad. He did good on the behalf of Russia. Uh, and I mean, he, his hands are not clean. He was a very bloody ruler. He took a lot of this land by force. Yeah. There was a lot of house cleaning within Russia at this point in time. That house was cleaning. very, nice. very, very, very messy. But I mean, all of the all of the elements that go into what we see in Russia today are are there with with Ivan the Terrible. And I mean, it's all been built up to him, but. But the, there's a sort of bottleneck with this first czar that kind of works nicely as a, as a stopping point. He is the first czar in that this is where you can track Russian leadership all the way to today. But he's also this product of hundreds of years coming before him, sort of manufacturing these circumstances. I like that I picked like the perfect time to ask about the czar thing. That totally <laughs> wasn't planned. I promise it, I did not know that this was coming. <laughs> it worked wonderfully. It worked very, very, very nicely. So... Yeah, I think we'll end there. That's where Russia came from. That's quite the story, Mr. Blesky. Any wrap-up questions that you have, or shall we leave it there? Uh, that is a lot of information, and all really, really interesting. Um, no, I'm good. Wonderful. I'm thoroughly entertained. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Absolutely. The empire solidified by Ivan the Terrible in the 16th century continued to spread across the Asian continent, eventually spanning 11 time zones and becoming the largest country in the world by area. The Tsars ruled Russia until the First World War, and the Soviet era that followed that made it one of the two most powerful nations of the 20th century. On the next episode of HI 101, we'll be looking at the professional and personal relationship of two of the most brilliant men of the early 20th century, Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison. Watch for the first part of that conversation on July 1st. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI 101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI 101.